And now, live from beautiful Myrtleby, South Carolina, you're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cullen. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's me. Oh, oh, please. Oh, thank you. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, thank you. Keep clapping. Keep clapping. Clap for the summer miracle. How would we know that you wanted the summer miracle if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Uh, I just got back. Uh, I just flew back from Alabama, and boy, am I sick of flight delays. Um, if anyone has flown this year, you know what I'm talking about. It's you don't, you never get anywhere on time. Uh, but I am happy to be home. Uh, had some great events in Ohio and Alabama over the long weekend uh, in Ohio. The Libertarian Party of Ohio's uh, yearly conference, or I guess every other year conference, because on even years they have conventions and on odd years they have conferences, uh, also spoke at a, uh, an event for ending qualified immunity in, um, in Columbus with uh, Accountability Now Ohio, uh, and then went down to the rally against corruption in, uh, in uh, Montgomery, Alabama to help the congressional candidate Jonathan Reels and the soon-to-be-announcing, she's actually not allowed to say she's running yet, but I am, uh, soon to be announcing that she's a uh, House congressional candidate, Portia Shepard, uh, down there in Montgomery. Had a great time. Now I'm back home, right here, same spike place, same spike time for an amazing episode of My Fellow Americans. Why is it so amazing? Because you're here. This is a Muddy Waters Media production. Check us out on everything. All social media platforms and venues and applications. All podcasting platforms, venues, and applications everywhere that there are things. We are on all of them. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play, Float, Twitch, all of it. All the all of the podcasts, all of the everything. So be sure to like us, five-star us, follow us, subscribe to us, comment, share, do all the algorithm things right now. Be sure to let Big Tech know that you're going to utilize their product fully. That'll show them. Huh? Uh, and be sure to, uh, if you are subscribing to us or following us on YouTube, don't just, don't just subscribe. Hit the bell. Hit that little bell because when you hit the bell, your phone explodes with notifications every time we go live. And I want that. I don't want you to miss anything. And be sure to share this right this very second. The last thing I want is for you and your closest loved ones to miss out on a roughly hour-long libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening. That would be terrible. Gift the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the second largest caucus in the Libertarian Party. And no, that's not a joke or a typo that we do to recent events. This is the second largest caucus in the Libertarian Party and the fastest growing one. And if you'd like to become a member, go to the Facebook group Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus uh, to become a a member today. And if you want to become an official voting member, which means literally nothing, because we don't vote on anything, it's just a, it's a it's just a it's a joke. But if you want to become a voting member, uh, then go to muddiedwatersmedia.com/store uh, and pick up some Waffle House Caucus buttons or a Waffle House Caucus shirt. Delight your family with this absolute nonsense. The Gravy King, Cumberland Cannabis. Uh, safe, viable, ethical, and effective Delta and CBD products. If you would like to buy some cannabis from Cumberland County, Tennessee, then here's how you do it. By going to cumberlandcannabisco.com. I know that's what you were thinking when this started. How can I get some 
CBD and Delta 8 products online directly from a nice rural county in Tennessee. Well, look no further. CumberlandCannabisCo.com. Joe Soloski is running to be the next Pennsylvania governor. Joe Soloski is the key to Pennsylvania's success. And if you'd like to help Joe become the very first libertarian governor ever, then go to help him at joesoloski.com. That's J-O-E-S-O-L-O-S-K-I.com. Mudwater, the most appropriately named sponsor we've ever had here on Muddy Waters Media. If you woke up today and said, my gosh, if I never have another drink of coffee in my life, it'll be too soon. I'd instead like to have masala chai, whatever that is, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and literally nothing else. But folks, I have some fantastic news for you. If you go to muddywatersmedia.com slash mud, you can get all of those things I just said in a tin. They give you a tin. Uh, and uh, muddywatersmedia.com slash mud. It's about one-seventh of the caffeine, just enough to wake you up, and uh, not enough to have a, you know, a pa- panic attacks and all of that stuff. Uh, I use it, and look at how wired I am at 8 at night. Jack Casey has written two books. Allegedly, a third one's coming. I don't know what any of them's about because I refuse to read them. Because if they're bad, then I'll feel bad uh, for trying to get you to buy them. And if they're good, then I'll feel bad about making fun of them every week. Uh, the first book is The Royal Green. Second book is In Silver Throned. And then the uh, third book is Crowned by Gold, uh, which is supposed to be coming out summer of 2021. Summer's almost over. I assume that's probably going to say coming soon. So if you want to find out why that third book hasn't come out, you got to buy the first two by going to theroyalgreen.com. Fierce Luxury by Ashley. Uh, high-end bags and accessories. Uh, Fierce Luxury is a high-end bag and accessory consignment store based on the internet. They carry the hottest brands like Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Gucci, and Hermes. Consign with them for a 30% fee, which is 20% less than most consignment stores, I'm told by Ashley. And why would she lie? She has no interest here. Find them online at FierceLuxuryByAshley.com and on Facebook in their exclusive group, FierceLuxuryByAshley.com. And speaking of fierce, I guess, Adderpan, the most horrifying game ever. Available on Steam for only $5 plus the cost of therapy for the rest of your life. Adderpan is an absolutely horrifying game that I refuse to play because I watched a gameplay video of it and that was scary enough. It's filled with jump scares, as they call it, or as I like to call it, existential crises. Uh, it's a, I don't know what the appeal to this game is, but if you want to be horrified for the rest of your life, uh, then go get Adderpan. It's only $5. You'll have so much more money to, to have to deal with the trauma uh, that came from this. Uh, if you feel like suing me after listening to these ads, then uh, I got bad news for you because I already have the attorney I'm going to counter sue you with. But if you have something else you want to sue someone about that isn't me, then go to chrisreynoldslaw.com. Personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. If you're in Florida, if you're not in Florida, you got to find someone else. Uh, he is a licensed Florida personal injury attorney. And if you are personally injured, he will get you just so much money. I can't guarantee that, but he's going to try his best. He's a good guy. He's a good attorney. Good legal mind. ChrisReynoldsLaw.com. The intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook, on SoundCloud. Go to his Bandcamp. Go to JoeDaviMusic.Bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography. His new album just dropped. It's going to be like 25 bucks for every song the man's ever made. It's going to be a delight. You're going to love it. I'd like to thank Le Bleu for this delicious water that I'm drinking today. I don't know why I treat them like a sponsor. I pay for this one.
good though. Uh, shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always. Folks, my guest tonight uh, is an incredible guy. I'm actually going to be campaigning with him uh, in just a couple of weeks. He is a libertarian international economist, an active duty police officer, and he's also a Libertarian Party candidate for Congress uh, to serve Florida's 20th district. He has been a police officer in Broward County, Florida since 2010 and a registered Libertarian since 2011. Uh, his prior career in finance and economics included work with banks, the White House Office of Management and Budget, uh, international development agencies, federal agencies, and trade associations. This guy's basically smarter than me. And we're going to find out just how much smarter than me over the next hour. Uh, he has traveled in 35 countries. He's taught economics at three universities. He holds a BS in aeronautical engineering and an MDA from Rensselaer Polytechnic in Rensselaer Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. I can't even pronounce where this man has degrees from. Uh, and uh, an MS and PhD degrees in economics from George Washington University. This is possibly the smartest human being I've ever had on the show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, please welcome to the show, Mr. Mike Termott. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Spike, you make me laugh. Uh, as my dad used to say, if you were so smart, you wouldn't need all those fancy degrees. No, I am oh. not smarter than you are. If I were smarter than you are, I probably would have advised you to hire Chris Reynolds before be joining a sponsorship relationship with Adderpan. I think uh, <laughs> that looks like a good product, actually. Yes. And I yes. think your audience is going to be able to handle it if any audience could. But if someone does need therapy, they're going to come after you and you're going to be on the phone with Chris. That's a good point. See, and that's why I said, I used to say, if you want to sue me, use Chris Reynolds. And I thought, no, 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 no. If you want to sue me, I'm using Chris Reynolds. You have to use someone else. So <laughs> uh, folks, be sure to uh, comment in the chats uh, with your thoughts and questions. And Mike and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, Mike, before we get started, you are both a libertarian and a police officer. And when I, we first posed this uh, I posed you as being uh, my next guest in, uh, first of all, publicly today, but even before that, in our uh, members-only group. Um, yeah, you say that like that's two different things. Well, no, it is. We have a we have kind of our our, our group of the elite get the uh, members, and then we also have like our public the public posts and pages we put out. Um, and we heard over and over again. Everything from, wow, I can't wait to hear from a, a libertarian who's a police officer and get his perspectives to, there is no such thing as a libertarian police officer. How dare you? I hate you. I'm, I'm quitting this group and everything in between. And so we're certainly going to talk a lot about that. But tell us that story of how you became, because you actually became an officer before you became a libertarian. Tell us that story of how you went from being the smartest human being in the history of mankind who also apparently ran the White House's budget, which, I mean, we can talk about some of the issues there, uh, but all the things you've done in economics, what ended up leading to you becoming a cop and then becoming a libertarian? Tell us the, the Mike Termont well, Genesis story. Oh my goodness. I'll tell you the story, but I'm going to give you the condensed version. I'm 60 years old and this is only an hour program. Uh, <laughs> look, I was probably a libertarian at heart, like, like most libertarians. I think I was a libertarian at heart for many, many years before joining the party, right? Most of us right. are optimistically rooting for one party or the other to come through and do something right by us and are right. just constantly disappointed until we throw in the towel and realize that the Libertarian Party is the only way to go. Uh, look, uh, being a police officer is something that I wanted to do uh, since a long, long time ago. 
when I was in graduate school in 89, 90, 91, uh, I took the uh, entrance exam for the Washington DC Police Department and decided that it just wasn't enough money in those days uh, and still isn't probably enough money to do the job in Washington these days. Uh, that's uh, one underfunded uh, department that uh, struggles to take care of police officers. So good luck to everybody there. Okay. And finally decided that uh, when I was 48, uh, you know, uh, it, it, the, the, the timing is not going to get any better. I was no spring chicken then. I'm no spring chicken now. Uh, and figured if I don't jump all over the opportunity, uh, that uh, the opportunity was going to escape from me. Look, I don't think being a libertarian and being a cop are really two different things. Uh, in, in my mind, whether in the mind of everyone in your audience or not, I don't know yet. But in my mind, I'm a professional libertarian. I am sworn to my duty to protect your rights. And I would uh, go so far as to say uh, most every cop I know feels that way, whether they use the word libertarian or not. But police officers become police officers, by and large, because they want to help people, and specifically uh, in the realm of protecting people's rights, whether that's uh, keeping people out of harm's way, uh, protecting them from other people who would infringe upon their rights. Uh, and, of course, being a good cop means learning how to not go too far and to protect people's rights, even from ourselves as police officers. That's fair enough. And I, I get that perspective on it. And I, it, the, the chat is everything from this sounds fantastic to, uh, again, there is no such thing as a libertarian. To go, go pound sand. Yeah. Yeah. We're going, we're going all, all the way off. Basically, everyone is arguing over whether you're not a real libertarian or not a real cop. So we're going to, we're going to dive into which of those you're not. Uh, but let's, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. So one thing, I, I think it's probably good to focus on, I think where we probably agree most. And you've talked a lot about the how the roles of unions and 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 um, uh, um, uh, collective bargaining in police sure. department, in, in really in public employees in general, but specifically here for police, how actually uh, how that actually makes things worse for policing. Can you can you dive into your thoughts on that? We're going to dive more into the the real core issues here, but I want I want to kind of get your thoughts on the outset of of some of the reforms you would want to see in the police. Sure, I I think the big picture for me, especially as an economist, is that we would. Uh, prefer that the labor market for police officers were more like labor markets in other industries. Okay. In other words, we'd like to see not only on the upside for police officers competition for good officers, but uh, we'd like to see situations in which bad officers are held uh, accountable uh, for the markets to be such that it weren't so difficult to fire bad officers. Uh, in any other industry, someone who doesn't perform very well disappears from the industry, right? Uh, or finds their way down the ladder of, uh, of opportunity one way or another. Right. And it's right. no secret that public sector unions and unions in general uh, can sometimes, I would say usually, make it very sticky in terms of holding professionals accountable, whether that's, you know, in terms of firing someone or differential pay. Uh, like with teachers, you know, we don't have the flexibility to pay good officers more and bad officers less, right? Uh, and 
a lot of, I think, what police officers uh, negotiate for through their unions is stability for a variety of reasons that, 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 that we can get into. Teachers, uh, uh, the same thing. Okay. And so uh, one thing we talked about back when you were on the Muddy Waters of Freedom a couple months back, um, sure. you had mentioned the fact that um, there's no portability. There, there were a couple things you talked about. Number one, there was no portability. So you have a situation where a police officer- In many places, that's there. right. It, where a police officer, same thing with teachers as well. They'll they'll have worked however many number of years, and if they if they move to another area, then uh, then they end up starting right. from scratch with base pay and everything else. And then you also talked about the fact that, and this kind of goes to the the issue of like qualified immunity and and liability insurance. Um, that yeah. we want professionals not to do harm, and but we also recognize that even good professionals will sometimes even accidentally do harm or, or, you know, mistakenly do something like, so for example, with, right. with, uh, with doctors, um, they right. will have malpractice insurance, um, because even if they, if they screw up, they don't lose everything as a result, but bad, right. co- bad doctors who keep having claims eventually can't get insured, which means they exactly it, doctors. It, 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 at the very least, your rates are going to go up and you're going to be priced right. out of the market. And it's exactly right. how we would like the market to eventually work for police officers. I think everyone recognizes that qualified immunity is going to go away. Okay. Uh, it's already going away. And, you know, Colorado has already made great strides and, and other states are, are stepping in that direction. So whether police officers like it or not, whether all of us understand it or not, and it's a complicated issue and uh, most legislators don't understand it. Most police officers don't understand it. But qualified immunity is going to go away. And that'll leave us in a situation in which we need to either be indemnified in some sense or acquire uh, liability insurance, malpractice insurance, just like any other high liability uh, industry, the leading example being doctors, right? Surgeons, as, as you brought up. And that's how we would want the market to work. If you're bad at your job, you're going to eventually get priced out because you're not going to be able to afford the insurance. And insurance companies will add a layer of accountability, even where cities and other counties, states, other employers find it difficult to do so because of union contracts. Not so will be the case with insurance companies. They're not going to be held back by uh, BS in, uh, in a union contract or else you won't be able to get the insurance in the first place. Right. right so right. that's important. And, and, and the other element to that uh, is that our elected leaders, our city leaders, county leaders, state leaders need to be much more involved in the contracting process. They need to be bargaining for the things that they need. Uh, and frankly, the police officers need to rebuild trust between police departments, between police officers, and the communities that we serve. It's uh, obvious that we've lost a lot of trust in both directions over the last several years. I I would argue that we've lost a lot of trust uh, slowly for decades, but uh, recently quickly. Well, recently quickly, honestly, I think the biggest reason has been not necessarily a new development in how police officers have acted, but this, everyone's walking yeah. around with HD cameras now. So, Absolutely. So, so we went from a, a vast majority of the public just taking the police officer's word for it to now we see this over and over and over again. 
And yeah. even if even if that's still, you know, and I don't I don't think anyone claims the majority of police interactions result in police brutality or even a large minority. But when you keep seeing, no, it of over course and over not. Again, but that, but a large proportion of the things that go wrong get seen thousands of times. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And while as a police officer, you I suppose you know you can be offended that uh, folks get a biased view because of that. It's not necessarily a bad thing uh, in terms of public policy for the worst things to get seen most. And uh, obviously as a police officer, just as a citizen, I like to see on TV, the good things that happen too. Right. Uh, I like to see kids being saved from burning buildings, but as a matter of public policy, uh, the things that maybe we can do something about, or at least try to do something about the the bad things, those are the things that we need to focus on. Right. No, I've never seen anyone say, you know what I burns me up is when I see a police officer arrest a rapist or, you know, save someone from a, <laughs> a bur- you know, from a, from a, a, a pull someone out right. of a, a, a car, right. a, a crashed car before first responders right. can and get And in fairness like, to cops, that happens every day. No, and right. I know, and I know that, and that, and that's. Yeah. There's two aspects here, and I think one big thing, and it's something that's not really worth beating around the bush on this, especially since we are libertarians. One of the biggest problems is that a lot of what police are doing are invo- are enforcing things that we as libertarians don't think should be crimes anyway. That we're enforcing absolutely. So can can you Abs- talk about that? Can you talk about that? Sure. The, the victimless crime aspect. Yeah, absolutely. There. Let's start with with crimes in which there are victims and tell you what a police officer would say if the victim doesn't show up or the victim doesn't want to press charges. We always say no victim, no crime, right? Even if there was a victim and there was a crime, when the victim says, I don't want to press charges or the victim just won't cooperate, right? And says, I don't want to talk to you. The conversation at that point is kind of over because if you don't have a victim, you don't have a crime. But when it comes to these victimless behaviors, and most of what we're talking about today is is drug related, right? In general, yeah. In in, well, and and that's the at the moment the most important uh, example. Um, You know, we can talk about prostitution, for example, also, and a couple of other things. But uh, the the big thing before the public right now is deciding to to what extent we want to decriminalize. Uh, behaviors surrounding drugs. Right. When it comes to this, the state still wants people to be prosecuted, even though there isn't an identifiable victim. And so for most police officers, uh, that just naturally rubs you the wrong way a little bit, right? Because you're used to being able to identify uh, a victim. And the other issue that goes hand in hand with that from a police officer's perspective is that we know how many people are affected negatively by a wide variety of drugs, right? Uh, Neither you nor I are going to try to convince each other that the United States doesn't have an opiate addiction problem. To see that uh, is to raise your concern to fight it in a criminal sense and not be able to significantly affect that is frustrating and naturally eventually leads you to 
there must be a better way to fight this, right? And I believe that police officers are likely to always be involved with whatever public response we want to have to drugs, to addiction, to any kind of illness. Right. But criminalizing it doesn't, as it turns out, doesn't help. So I think there's there's a couple of different ways that you can come at this. You can come at this strictly as a libertarian and say, uh, what I do with my body is my business and you all can go pound sand, which is a great way to come at it, right? And, and as libertarians, that's the... That's our bread and butter. But as a police officer and as uh, public health officials will tell you, uh, criminalizing these behaviors doesn't help. In other words, there's another way to come at it rather than just a matter of ethics. There's a practical viewpoint, which is to say, criminalizing it just doesn't help. It drives a wedge between police and our communities. Well, and it also, it creates cartels. Those cartels become powerful. They pay off uh, government officials and police officers, which leads to corruptions, not just when it comes to drugs, but to everything else. Uh, there was recently a documentary called White Boy Rick, which details how the city of Detroit, from the mayor and police chief all the way down, framed this 16, 17-year-old white kid and say that he's you know, he's like a low-level drug dealer who actually was originally a federal informant. They, they frame him to say he's the drug kingpin so they can lock him up yeah. and say, look, we fixed the drug problem. And it was just to distract right. from the... the from the drug dealers that were actually paying them off. Addiction gets yeah. worse because addicts can't get help. And then, yes, it leads to officers enforcing, and we can talk about the war on drugs, the war on guns, all of these things. It leads to officers enforcing, spending a good bit of their time enforcing things that shouldn't even be crimes. Uh, it also leads to things like, for example, no-knock raids. There's no justification for a no-knock raid unless the justification is, well, they might flush something down the toilet. Well, you're not going to flush a murder or a rape down the toilet they're talking about drugs and so these are the types of things civil asset forfeiture all of these things sprang forth from the war on drugs so ending the war on drugs ending the the wars on victimless crimes also it, you know whenever people say to me well don't you want officers that are out there stopping you know rapes and murders yes that's prime that's all that i want officers doing is out there protecting lives rights and property and it sounds like you're saying the same thing you want the role of being a police officer to be nothing other than protecting lives rights and property oh i think i lost him i think i lost him but this actually happened when we were talking earlier um and uh he he was able to come back so in the meantime i'm going to actually uh, while we're waiting to see if, uh, i think i lost him completely uh, yeah, okay, I lost him completely. Let me see if he comes back on. In the meantime, I'm going to address some of the uh, some of the things that are in the comments. I know some of you guys were uh, getting a little uh, impatient that I wasn't talking about some of the the core issues yet. I wanted to talk about uh, Mike's policies first when it comes to what he wants to see changes, and then get into the beer. But literally, the next thing I was going to be bringing up uh, when he yeah, let me let me stop the the spikeception in the corner here one of the things i was going to bring i was going to the thing i was going to bring up next uh until i lost him just now was to talk about let me just keep this up in case it comes back uh one of the things i was going to talk about is in the time and hopefully when he comes back we can address this now that 
we do have the war on drugs and we do have the war on guns we do have all these different things in that kind of situation does that mean that you don't if, if you're being consistent with libertarian principles as a police officer does that mean that you don't enforce those things does that mean you look the other way does that mean you just put less priority on it does that mean you do the bare minimum of what you have to do and and you know actively advocate to end those things what exactly does that look like to him and i, I want to make sure i i don't want to misrepresent what he's saying um so uh and then the next thing is and this was brought up by uh, uh dank and salty drift memes the concern that okay if they end the war on drugs now what's to say that they don't, you know, go find some other victimless crime? And I think that's the core issue we need to be talking about. Mike is actually back. Let's see if he, if we can get him back on. Um, hold on one second. I just want to make sure I can connect with him. Hey, are you back? Can you hear me? I can. Did okay, you bump cool. me out or did I bump you out? Uh, you, I think you bumped me out, but that's okay. Uh, we are still live. I'm going to bring you back in. Um, and My apologies. I switched devices. I hope that helps. I don't know what went wrong. No, that's fine. Um, that's perfectly fine. That'll work great. Um, and we can make that work. Uh, so we were talking about how, you know, these, uh, that these victimless crime laws, they create more problems, specifically the war on drugs creates more problems when it comes to, you know, the, the worsening Absolutely. of-, of, of It um, causes people not to call the police when they need to also, uh, which leads to medical problems. Uh, it causes uh, people not to get the treatment uh, that, that they might be able to find if police officers were involved in a more positive way. And if people trusted police officers to be involved in a more positive way. So there are real life solutions that are blocked off for any number of people just because they're afraid to call 911. Right. And they get over criminalized. So now they can't get, you know, they can't start a business legally. And they, you know, all, all these other terror. We could sit here and talk all day long about how the war on drugs is bad. Here, here is what has been asked probably, uh, I would say, a thousand times in the comments. Uh, and yeah. everyone's basically saying, and I, I mean, I could, I could read each of these, but it's pretty much... Um, Summarize. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty much summarized, summarized as this. Yes, we agree that these types of laws need to be gotten rid of and these reforms need to happen. In the meantime, while, for example, the war on drugs exists, the war on guns exists, these victimless crime laws exist, crimes that we consider, laws that we consider to be illegitimate, unconstitutional, sure. uh, infringing, as a police officer and a libertarian, and again, this has been worded multiple ways, how do you square that? Is it that you... Uh, you don't enforce those things or you do the absolute bare minimum while advocating for an end to them. What, what, how, when, as a libertarian and a police officer, how do you square that, that circle between your principles and what your job is as it is right now? You mean as a personal matter in my own particular situation is what you mean? Yeah. Yes. You, you advocate for how you'd like the laws to change. My job is to enforce the law, so I don't have that much flexibility in certain situations. Right. Yeah, you try to go with as light a touch as possible, as you said, the, the bare minimum. You go with a light touch, you try to be as helpful as possible. When someone commits a felony uh, and you have probable cause to believe it to be so, you don't have a lot of flexibility. It doesn't matter whether I'm there or another officer. It doesn't matter what your political association, affiliation, or feelings are. It just is what it is. 
Right. And the state of Florida is going to get its pound of flesh, whether it uses you, Mike, as a police officer or any other police officer. Remember, the police officers are employees. And as much as we might get upset, angry or frustrated with the way certain things work, being upset with the employees carrying out the policies, uh, in my view, can be a frustrating proposition. Right. Uh, Yeah, we want certain laws to change. And I probably want certain laws to change in different ways than someone else because I'm more familiar with them. But uh, do I have complete flexibility in 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 this regard no absolutely not and you know for some people that means this is uh this you know is not an appropriate uh career if you you know if if you are unable to uh carry out uh you know the role uh there are so many upsides uh to pursuing a career as a police officer that on balance, uh, I find that it's worth it. And the education that I've gotten from having done it, uh, to be honest, for me personally has been extraordinary because so many of these issues, you know, I was not personally involved with until after becoming a police officer. Um, You know, my view on what should be criminalized and what should not be criminalized uh, has probably not changed all that much But the reasons and what's behind it and the damage that is done by criminalizing certain things that I believe shouldn't be, uh, that has changed in me personally quite a bit. You know, I see how things don't work in a way that I wish that they would if they weren't criminalized. Yeah. And that's so I and I I agree with you that obviously, you know, we all advocate for this thing. I think where the the disagreement might come in and, and we're seeing you know, a lot of this in the comments that obviously you do have the choice to to resign from being a police officer. Now, when you're saying that you uh, on the balance see more negative, more, more positive than negative, uh, obviously, besides having employment, what are some of those specific positives that you see that outweigh the fact that you're doing things that by your own belief are infringing on the, the lives, rights and properties of others? Every single day I interact with uh, anywhere from a dozen to many dozen people in my jurisdiction in ways in which I try to add value to their lives. Whether they, you know, uh, see it that way or not, in every single instance, I have no way of uh, evaluating. But people have uh, real life. Oh, come on. <laughs> this has been, this is a really good conversation to be having. And, and uh, this is not fun. So hopefully he comes back. Um, What's that? Are you there? Are you back? Oh, you came back this time. Okay, good. I didn't know I disappeared. Yeah, no, you, I lost you uh, for, for quite a bit there. Um, so, uh, uh, so you were saying that you, you come across quite a few people. On, on a day-to-day basis and you're able to to possibly affect their lives as an officer in other things, in, in the, the things where you're in, enforcing crimes and interacting with the public. Right, Rem- remember that, that drugs, right, drugs is such a small part of my job is to be vanishingly uh, tiny, statistically speaking. Right. It just, 
you know, it, look, in the last, uh, let me say in the last four or five years, I have performed CPR on people with overdoses more often than I've arrested people. Okay. Um, and, and I, I definitely do get that. Um, I, I, I will say, um, as a, as a libertarian, and I know you probably empathize with this as well, it's hard to square that circle, right? Like it's, it's hard to square the, yes, there are good things that are being done. Uh, there are people whose lives are being saved and everything else. Um, where obviously a lot of libertarians are going to have difficulty is when it comes to the, uh, when it comes to the part that even again, that you also recognize is, is the thing that is that infringement. Um, I, honestly, I don't, I'm not sure that there is a way to, I, I, I'm not sure there was a way to resolve this specific, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, I guess disagreement uh, other than agreeing to disagree. Well, I would say aspect, not so much disagreement. There's an aspect to the job uh, of which, you know, I don't have a great deal of appreciation. It's just part of the job. And it goes hand in hand with, you know, aspects of any other job that you don't like. Uh, in this particular case, it runs against my political principles. And most people don't have jobs in which their political principles even come into play. So I would ask most of your audience, right, who is questioning whether or not a libertarian should take a job as a police officer, to ask themselves, when's the last time their political principles were challenged by their job? And I'm guessing that for 80% of our audience, the answer is never, right? I am a big believer in public service, full out. Public service, in many cases, requires public policy. Public policy requires political principles. So if you're going to believe in public service enough to take a job in it, almost assuredly, you're going to end up in a situation in which part of the job runs counter to your political druthers. It's that way, whether you're a firefighter or, you know, you're a soldier or you're a sailor or an airman. Uh, if, if you work on budgets for your city, uh, I used to work as an economist for the White House. Did I see things that I hated? Uh, listen, I was there when my boss's 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 boss, George Herbert Walker Bush, went back on his read my lips, no new taxes pledge at Andrews Air Force Base and agreed to what I think everyone uh, was willing to call a tax increase in some sense. A lot of us were upset by that. We were upset because he had said he wouldn't. We were upset because we didn't want new taxes. Uh, if your audience would like to say I blew it, by not storming out of, you know, the new executive office building across the street from the White House and and grabbing a sign and protesting, then that's fine. But as a public servant, I do the best job I can. And that's fair. I, I get I get what you're saying. I, I will say 
Um, the here's here's a question I have because there's been a few different things people have said here. Some people have said that you made a good point about the job thing. Some people have said that recently they did have to have where their moral principles uh, were called into the question about uh, enforcing mandates and that they they chose to refuse to do it and either had to resign or, or get demoted. Uh, there are people, I, I guess maybe and my good two for them that happens, and I yeah. have all kinds of respect for that. Yeah. So my my I guess my thing is. Um, because I, I, I'm not, I, I will say I'm not a fan of the doing my job defense, I, but let me ask you this. Um, is there a, a law or, or order or something that maybe isn't even on the books that if it were implemented, you would say, no, that's, I can't do that. And if, if I have to do that, even if on the balance, I feel like the other things I'm doing are, are a net positive to my community, this I can't do. Is Are, are there things that you would say, no, I, I can't do this and I, I simply have to resign? Well, of course, and and maybe you meant that as a, as a softball. Uh, you know, no police officer that I know, not just myself, but no police officer I know um, is going to uh, exert uh, more violence than is necessary. Uh, no police officer that I work with is going to make an arrest without probable cause uh, to believe that a crime had been committed uh, for which, you know, the state of Florida says is an arrestable offense. Uh, so, yes, we are uh, limited all the time by our principles and how we view uh, the Constitution, both the Constitution of the United States and constitution of the state of florida and none of us are going to go uh beyond that uh, indeed our city i got to be a little bit careful here right but a couple years ago our city decided to uh make the possession of cannabis a civil issue and we were to pass out civil citations for first possession offense and the amount of penalty for each citation would escalate for the second, third, fourth, fifth offenses. And the way it appeared to me and a number of other officers, what this was just extortion, right? And uh, in answer to your question, we didn't do it. Uh, the good news, I suppose, for the employment of, of us was that uh, the, the city eventually backed down, not explicitly, but implicitly. Uh, right. The program was just sort of uh, shelved uh, for lack of execution. That's a fairly soft example, right? Uh, I didn't have to go on television and, you know, say we're not doing this and make a big brouhaha over it. It was just something right. that was it quietly tanked. Yeah. 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 So, that, you know, that was uh, fairly easy and mild. But uh, for the most part, the good news is we're not put in too many situations. And like I say, you know, we, we don't arrest people for weed anymore as a practical matter. It just almost doesn't happen. And, and, and no, and I know that's true, especially in Florida, that's, that's largely true. But, for example, um, someone who... 
Um, I, I met uh, going across the country last year. I went to like 35 states. I was across the country and I, I met a lot of for veterans, a lot of people who uh, have gotten in accidents uh, for whatever reason. They ended up with a chronic pain issue. Um, and so they ended up and, and this was a story I heard over and over again. They uh, ended up on pain pills because they had a chronic pain in issue that wasn't actually resolvable. It was because of a permanent injury or uh, some neurological damage or something like that. And they would end up right. on pain pills. And then eventually they'd hit their FDA limit on pain pills. And they'd be told, no more pain pills, uh, pain pills cold turkey now. Uh, we're going to have to figure out non-drug ways to manage your increasing pain. Uh, which they couldn't do. So now they're resorting to buying the same pills the time. illegally, buying the same pills illegally. Uh, and often because they are losing money doing this, they often don't have work uh, because of their pain issue. They are often now having to sell the pills or basically sell enough of them to be able to afford their own pills until eventually they realize it's actually... And the story is a great money. example of why... Uh, it needs to be de decriminalized, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And in the meantime... Um, what is the thought Justice process? Justice reform because, matters. Absolutely. But in the meantime, in a situation where you're having to arrest someone for, for example, trafficking heroin, when the reality is, you know, this is an addict who has multiple baggies of heroin, either because it's for personal usage or it's because they're having to uh, sell a certain number of them to maintain an addiction they have because right now they don't have a legal recourse. I, I guess right. I'm trying to, to get in the mindset of what it is you have to you and not just and this isn't I'm not trying to call you out specifically. This is talking no, about no, police but officer, the situation the, the a police officer would find himself in. Right. There's, what is the thought process there? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you can try to downplay it a little bit. But, uh, you know, what what presents itself presents itself. Uh, this is, you know, in, in many situations. And this, of course, is a problem with the law is that there's a limited amount of discretion that you have as a as a legal matter, right? And not just an employment matter, but as a legal matter. And so what you can do uh, is refer this to drug court, which in Broward County can be fairly effective in treating situations differently uh, because there are a couple of judges who are relatively sensitive uh, to the story that you just told, for example. Right. So we can, we can scooch things in a direction that's more productive, uh, thankfully, but not because necessarily the law has changed very much over the years, but because uh, the courts have uh, at least taken some steps to react in the right direction. And, and that's not to say, believe me, I'm not saying that uh, and therefore, we don't need to decriminalize. We absolutely do. Uh, but various pieces of the justice system, which is large and complicated, uh, have been trying to react in in positive ways. Yeah. And and again, we and I've I've heard some both positive and negative things about drug court and similar similar arrangements. So, I mean, obviously, yeah, it doesn't always work very well. Right. Yeah. And, and it probably is different from state to state as well. All, all that to say, it's I think from I, you county know, to county. Oh, I'm sure. And from person to person and judge to judge and everything else. Uh, obviously, I mean, I, I think I think we've both made our points here uh, in terms of yep. the 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 enforcement versus disobedience. I think that actually the one thing I do want to say and is kind of touching on something you said, and then we can get into the economic stuff. Um, but yep. for example, um, you mentioned the fact that when the officers 
when there was the the change to how uh, marijuana was going to be uh, uh, um, arrested and treated, the officers largely refused to enforce it, and it just kind of quietly went away as a policy because they knew that there wasn't an appetite for the officers to enforce it. In a similar manner of how uh, if a certain percentage of the population engages in civil disobedience, the government often just uh, 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 abandons trying to enforce it because they don't really have the ability to enforce it for no other reason. With that said, right. does that not mean that if enough officers wanted to, they could refuse to enforce the war on drugs or the war on guns or the war on sex work and say, no, we aren't willing to do this. You know, we're willing to go against, you know, a violent street gang or something like that, but we're not willing to enforce a truly victimless crime uh, you know, just because it involves drugs or just because it involves guns? Is it not true that there yes. could also be a, a refusal to enforce there? Yes, uh, to a certain extent anyway. Uh, it's difficult to explicitly coordinate that sort of thing, right? Um, it's much more viable as a strategy, I have found, and other officers have found, to... Uh, how shall I say, put your energies in other directions, right? Uh, a lot of uh, criminal police work is uh, the result of proactive dedication of your own personal resources. And so pushing in one direction or another gets you away from certain things. So to the extent okay. to which, uh, you know, you spend more time working on those calls that are domestic violence in nature, for example, right, right. Uh, it, you do have a little bit of influence uh, about, uh, you know, not dedicating quite as much uh, activity toward other things. And as a department, as a whole, uh, we have that to a certain extent. Okay. Um I'm going to, like I said, I think uh, rather than have us for two hours go back and forth talking about largely the same thing, I think everyone, including the people in the comments, have, have made our points here. Um, and I yeah. think we all get each other's points here. I think I, th I don't think there's anyone who's mistaken as to what someone's saying or not. Uh, I'll close this on two different comments that were made kind of in favor of and, and against what you said. Uh, one said something along the lines, I, I forget where it was, someone saying this basically, they, they perceived it as a just following orders uh, uh, response. Uh, and then, but then someone else, uh, Nate Berg actually said, if everyone with any libertarian ideals quit, then uh, you would only have officers left who had no libertarian ideals um, and that, you know, it, it, nothing's all or nothing and, and that that would, you know, that would be a, a net worse. I, I, I think everyone can get each other's arguments. I, I think it's clear how each one of us thinks on these things. Um, I'm a, and, yeah, uh, and, and if, if I would summarize what I have to say, it is I'm a big believer in public service. That's fair. And, and this and is I, the way I, I choose I, to do it. And I, and I get that. And I, and I, I believe that you, that you are trying to do this for the, um, that, that you're doing it for a public service reason, even if, even if there are some obvious civil liberties concerns and things like that. Um, when it comes right, to that, we all that share, story, I don't think anyone in your, in your audience is, is, uh, going to try to kid him or herself that, uh, I became a police officer or very many others became, become police officers because they want to arrest people for drugs. Right. That's not a, that's not a thing. I, I, yeah, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. The question becomes now that you know, it is then what, with that said, um, I, I, I we do, we, here's, I want to end where I we agree. That. 
we need to get rid of the victimless crime laws so that this isn't even a discussion anymore. Like, if, if, if a police officer's job is only to protect lives, rights, and property, then 99% of this argument goes away. Now we're just talking about what to do with officers who remain That's bad right. actors. And we pretty much largely agree on, on, on that. Um, let's, uh, going to the, um, kind of getting into the economic end of it, because you are also an economist. Um, a lot of criminal justice issues are often lead to poverty um, and, yeah. or enforce poverty. Uh, and something yes. that you actually are running on is on looking at how the criminal justice system being often heavy handed, especially with people, poorer people, um, leads to and enforces the existing poverty system. Can you kind of dive into that and, and sure. what you would want to see change in that? Yeah, and I, and I, I think one useful place to start is to, to talk about the war on poverty as it was launched in the 1960s, right? Okay. Uh, and, and, and I would argue that most of us, certainly back in the 70s uh, when I came of age, were optimistic, uh, naively, right, as kids. We were optimistic that throwing money at certain types of problems would lead to something good. Uh, and that's the, the basic nexus of the war on poverty is that if you made resources available to people who are in poverty, that that would give them a way out of poverty. Right. And, and the other piece of it was what that developed into uh, in, in counter to that. Uh, talk about the 1980s, talk about the Reagan years. Uh, we then began believing that a rising tide would, would lift all boats, right? And we were very optimistic and naive about that as well, as it turns out that a rising tide uh, does not <laughs> lift all boats. We see a great deal of mobility in our economy from one strata to another, everywhere except for the bottom. In other words, we see people going from middle class to upper class and upper class to middle class all the time. We see some people escaping poverty every year, but not the kind of mobility that you see in the rest of the economy. The bottom of our economy works differently than the rest of it. And the one thing that I have learned from looking at economic development, both in the United States and elsewhere, and of course, following this as a police officer uh, on, on road patrol for the past 11 years, Truly, poverty is a political phenomenon. Poverty uh, not only is, in many cases, caused by bad public policy, but it is locked in to what I would characterize as persistent intergenerational poverty, the kind of poverty that uh, leads from one generation to the next. It's very difficult to escape over a long, long period of time. So if you start out looking at folks in difficult situations, uh, the first thing you notice is, they, is that poverty is a, is a geographic concept, right? Poverty is concentrated in certain places. And that leads to crappy public schools and an absence of private schools. And until recently, a complete absence of charter schools, which is a fairly recent phenomenon for which we're all uh, eternally grateful. But because public schools have a virtual monopoly, locally speaking, over the use of public funds, 
face no competition, it's very difficult for the problems of public schools to be corrected. There's just no economic force driving them to do so. Right. And that limits all kinds of opportunity, right? Not only does it limit economic opportunity, it actually limits in some cultural sense, even aspirations for what most people would consider uh, economic development. Most people that graduate from the, the worst public schools, including those in Broward County, where they truly are bad, uh, most folks wouldn't even recognize the economic opportunities that are made available to people graduating from private schools and from good public schools elsewhere in the United States. When you combine that with our criminal justice system, which, as you and I were just discussing, criminalizes some very uh, basic victimless adult behaviors, you get people seeking opportunities to make money in street crime. Street crime comes from the combination of bad public schools and prohibition, right? Street crime, uh, lack of economic opportunity, a a number of other bad public policies that we have in place. We still at the federal level subsidize the breakup of the of of the nuclear family unfortunately we subsidize the concentration of uh of of housing at the lower end of the spectrum uh we have zoning ordinances that uh, preclude integration of low and high income uh, families we do all kinds of things to make it difficult and what we find is that the the justice system plays a major role not just because it sweeps up so many people through the criminalization of things that shouldn't be criminalized, but of course our sentencing is so much heavier than the rest of the world that we find other ways to break up families, uh, to undermine economic development, to undermine entire communities. And that leads to tough parenting situations. Tough parenting situations leads to problems in school. And so you see the cycle continue and there's there's the cycle and i wish that that weren't the case right um i'm I'm not trying to suggest that breaking the cycle is easy it's not it's uh, a lot easier to describe than to fight plenty of people on the right uh, like to describe this as a fairly simple problem all you need to do is uh, graduate get a job work hard uh, don't get pregnant until after you're married and your life is going to be good. Right. Uh, yeah, that's easier said than done if you graduate or, more importantly, don't graduate from a bad public school. A lot of people I find down here in 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 District 20 or any of the other number of places where I've either worked or visited in pockets of poverty, a number of people will will tell you, well... You know, even if public funds were available to private schools, we still wouldn't have private schools here. We don't have any private schools now, right? So it wouldn't do us any good. Well, the truth of the matter is that private schools, if they know nothing else, they know which side of their bread gets butter, right? It's no coincidence that the private school that I was able to send my daughter to, uh, notwithstanding the mortgage on the house I had to get to pay for it, was in a wealthy community. 
It's not a coincidence. Right. If you were to make public funds available to private schools in District 20, I can guarantee you the Archdiocese of Miami would take notice. There would be private schools there in 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 due course, and it, and it wouldn't take a generation. Well, and it's it's interesting because the 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 concept of school choice, which is basically what you're describing, it's actually yeah. just it's sort of like Medicare for all, but for education. So, like what we currently have is like the equivalent of the VA, where the government doesn't just control the funds and funding, but they actually control but the, the mechanism. It's yeah, the delivery. It's the it's actual socialization of an entire service. They've they've controlled the means yeah. of production, and a step down from that, while still having the government. Uh, controlling the funding and, and and essentially, for lack of a better word, robbing us to pay for it, um, there it at least is being assigned to the parent and the parent is deciding where it goes. So where that's exactly right. Medicare it's a stepping would be stone. It's a stepping stone to getting the government out of education completely eventually. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which can't happen all in one step. In, indeed, making public funds available for private schools is something that can't even happen in one step. We have to go through the charter school step to get there. Yep. And thank goodness charter schools have now demonstrated, the argument should be over, but it won't be over for many years. But the argument should be over because charter schools outperform uh, traditional public schools, full stop. And oh, yes. that's the case, whether they're unionized or not, by the way. So one interesting finding, uh, interesting to me as an economist, I have to admit, I didn't see this coming. Uh, the teacher unions themselves, although they're a political problem, they're not the primary problem in delivering uh, good education. Uh, the charter schools that are unionized, it turns out, uh, also do a damn good job about performing traditional public schools. Yeah, no, it's not even close. Like the, 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 it's not even close in terms of the the metrics, which is why the the, the public sector unions are doing everything they can to, to fight it. Uh, Kyle Hagan is mentioning, yes. you know, he's saying trim up the black bars. You know, who's running my OBS? Uh, Kyle, uh, when uh, Mike, when we lost Mike, one of the times he had to switch to another device, and it's apparently in portrait mode. Yeah, I, don't I want apologize to take up any for more. that. No, 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 it's fine. I just I don't want to take up any more time of the broadcast trimming it up and, and editing it. So we're just going to go with this. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, originally it was in the right the right thing um and talking about the criminal justice aspect of that mike um when someone is criminalized uh you know look, looking at the kids they're robbed of of at least one parent um for the time that they're in prison um which could be many years especially if they've been you know multiple times of, of getting hit on victimless crimes and now they're in jail they come out they're uh unable to vote they're unable to own a weapon often they're they're unable to uh be able to get uh, work in entire career industries. Entire uh, industries are closed off. Yeah, entire industries are closed off. They're unable to get a, a business license. So are you in favor of, and I'm not sure if it's either, an, it, I guess along with ending these wars on victimless crimes, also giving like a, a type of an amnesty to those who were previously convicted of just those crimes, not those crimes and some kind of violent offense or something, but having specifically those crimes removed from people's records so they can have a clean slate? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that you should carry a record for something that is currently not illegal. To me, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. I, in other words, this it has is, to be, in a sense, retroactive. Yeah, this is a very interesting... Which is a shame, right? Because right now there are people incarcerated and for a long period of time for things that will soon no longer be illegal. 
or in some cases are already uh, uh, legal. So we have some states- In some cases already legal. That's actually true. With marijuana, in some cases, there are people that are in prison for selling. And the justification is, well, but there was no- It was illegal at the time and you broke the law. It was illegal at the time. And there was no way for them to have the the licensing and they never could have afforded it. They're literally arguing that because they were poor, they should be in jail for something that a rich person is now allowed to be able to do. Right. And- and and I understand the counter argument, right? The counter argument is it was illegal at the time. Um, but, you know, in the same way that we need a pathway to citizenship for people who are in the United States illegally, right? Yeah. We need a pathway to amnesty. And Spike, you know, as well as I do, amnesty is not the word that we're going to be able to use if we want political success in that arena. But yeah, we need a pathway uh, to to restoration of rights. Yeah, uh, and that's the best way to put it, restoring people's rights that should have never been removed in the first place. I mean, to, to use an extreme example, uh, there were people who used to have criminal charges for violating the Fugitive Slave Acts. Well, once slavery was, once chattel slavery, or at least once private sector chattel slavery was ended and replaced with public sector chattel slavery, there was, it, it, to have someone still have a criminal record or still be in jail for escaping their master that that was now a completely illegal arrangement um you know there would be no reason for them to have that so same thing here right and 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 there wasn't a pathway to the restoration of rights put in place uh then it was a a a real shame in my view yeah i i agree with you 100 this is a very interesting situation in which I, you know, we agree pretty much a hundred percent when it comes to the reforms that need to be made, and I think the the disconnect between us is that I, I believe that, and and many of the people, and I will say in in your defense, this is not one. You know, I, I know you're not looking at the comments. It's not one hundred percent people saying that they agree with me or disagree with you. It's it's fairly balanced, but uh, I, I will say that I think the disconnect is so if if I know something is wrong. And I know that um, and, and, and I, I will say that I don't believe it's just as simple as saying it's a political disagreement. So a political disagreement might be something like, uh, you know, a marginal tax rate or trade policy or something like that. I think when it comes to, for example, saying uh, you have to um, be the person who actually goes and collects someone to be processed in the system that you're talking about. Uh, ultimately contributes to poverty and 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 to overcriminalization and to uh, uh, stratification between the poor and literally everyone else and not to mention the immediate da- damage and harm being done to them not to mention all of the justifications for the the growing police state uh, and and surveillance state that we have as a result of it um, that that's your job to go and do that in that moment I I, I wonder if in addition to the advocating for that to end that there isn't also something useful in saying and in the meantime i'm i'm at least not going to prioritize that my priority is going to be on the things that i think should be and i encourage other officers to do the same for us to prioritize what we actually want to do and in doing so demonstrate to the community that this is not a police officer thing this is a politician thing they want this stuff we don't want to do it and so we're basically doing everything we can to refuse to comply in our own right if that makes sense uh, it does make sense and behind closed doors that's exactly what does go on uh, every officer knows which officer is interested in pursuing drug crimes and which one is not which officers are the officers you want there with regard to any other type of situation 
you know, you and I can go on and on about the hundreds of other types of calls that we go on, right? Um, and so behind closed doors, that happens, and we have those types of conversations all the time, including uh, ones that involve principles and politics and what we think ought to be legal and not legal. Uh, our profession is not there in terms of, uh, you know, going public. If somebody wanted to take a stand that would lead to them being discharged, I would have every uh, respect for that officer. But you wouldn't, you know, you would not be a police officer uh, any longer. And for most people, that's fine. You know, I, I'm guessing that there's no one else in your audience who is a police officer. And, and that's fine. Most people aren't, right? Uh, but if you want to be a police officer, uh, you got to take a, a little bit of it. And, and back to another point that you were making, to an economist, uh, not all of those examples that you might political disagreements are that easy to choke down. Uh, to an economist, uh, tariffs are pretty bad things. Um, you know, some oh, of the things that, yeah. that the World Bank used to do in terms of foisting debt upon uh nations in Latin America were pretty bad. And I spent a year working for the World Bank. And, and yeah, you have some ethical issues you got to wrestle with and ultimately decide not to pursue a career with them. Uh, but, you know, I knew economists at the Treasury Department who are quite pissed off at some of the things that whatever administration was in power was doing. Uh, but, and har- and you know, you choose to try to make the changes you can from the inside and choke down the rest. And the and the the real acknowledging the real harms that happen as a result of that of, of those the real life consequences of those policies. No, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. Yeah, I, you know, like yeah, I yeah. said, I I, I think um, this. And is by definitely- the way, I'm not trying to let myself off the hook. I'm just saying, you know, life is hard, and and we all do have to make uh, tough decisions. Uh, and some of us are going to choose to pursue certain careers as challenging as as they may be to wrestle with in your head yeah here's the thing i I, i'm not sure we're going i don't think we're going to necessarily agree on this point which is what makes it even more important it it, it makes it more important it it makes it every bit as important as it was before this conversation started to end these things so that this this argument doesn't even exist to begin with um so that we're now talking in some kind of academic sense instead of a a real life sense i i do i do hope that um, I do hope that in this conversation, and not just from you, but in everyone, that I, I, that we recognize, uh, or at least that there's a, a, a acknowledgement of the fact that I, I hope that we can see more pushback from people because I don't. I there are plenty of people in law enforcement who believe the war on drugs is good. They have bought just like many non-officers, many civilians sure. believe that the war on drugs is good. It's necessary, and it's you know we have to stop all these addictions and all these uh, uh, drug dealers, and and that and that this is a good way to do it. Despite all evidence to the contrary, they still believe right, it, and right, the officers right. still believe it as well. For those who don't, or for those who recognize something is wrong here, I, I do hope that I see more of a not just an advocacy to end it but of people saying i don't want to do this and and if you want to have enough police officers to fill your ranks 
sure. we, we aren't going to do this. This needs to be at the very least deprioritized um, in, in the same way that we've seen a lot of people who quit the military service once they're up to do so, once they're no longer in that enlisted period where they have to remain in. And even some who say, listen, then dishonorably discharge me or give me conscientious objector status or whatever it is, but I can't continue to do this. I, I believe that there are going to have to be many ways to fight the the very very profitable and very uh, uh, attractive to those who want power war on drugs and war on victimless crimes I think it is going to going to take advocacy against bad laws I think it is going to take people from within the inside as it were talking about this but I, I do think there's going to have to be an aspect Agreed. in the same way there's going to have to be an aspect of civilian disobedience to it there's going to also have to be an aspect of enforcer disobedience to the extent of at least saying this is not our priority if you tell us our priority is beating people up for you know menthols or loose cigarettes we're not doing it like or or it's going to right. be so low on the totem pole that it's it might as well not being enforced. I, I do hope to see more of that. Right. Like like what has happened with weed. Right. Yeah. I, I do hope to see that. And 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 we I, I will say I guess the last thing on this is or that I'll say on it is that um one of the many different things that led to increasing talk of decriminalizing and legalizing drugs in uh, or uh, specifically weed and now uh hallucinogens and the um anthenogens uh, uh, yep. uh, I'm saying that wrong. The the, the mushrooms and the, uh, the hallucinogenic plants uh, is yep. that an increasing number of uh, of officers were saying this is stupid. I'm not going to do it. Uh, this isn't helpful. It's harmful. And and it became untenable for municipalities and states across the country to continue doing it, um, which led them to actually right. having a standoff with the federal government, which is uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, so I do think there's many aspects to it. And yes, uh, that was I, I, helpful. It's a good example. Yeah. So I, I do hope that we have more of that. I, I don't want I don't believe that we should just say, well, while it's still the law, we just it is what it is and we have to do it. I think there needs to be an aspect of saying, OK, it's the law and and we may not be able to completely uh, disobey enforcing. But the, in some cases, we may have to disobey enforcing or at the very least give a lot of pushback on it. And I, I do hope to see more of that. Yep. Well said. OK, um, so, folks. Uh, there has been many uh, 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 opinions of people that like what we've said, people that have disliked what we've said, people that have liked what I've said, people that have liked what Mike said, and vice versa. Um, you actually have an opportunity to talk with both of us about these things and anything else you want to do, uh, because I'm actually going to be uh, in uh, two weeks from now, I'm going to be in Florida uh, with Mike Termott uh, and Martha Bueno. Uh, Mike is obviously running for Congress. Martha Bueno is running for city commissioner in Miami. Um, and so it's not, it isn't, oh good. We're live and the things aren't pulling up. Anyway, uh, this uh, Friday and Saturday, uh, I am going to be, uh, or not this Friday and Saturday, next Friday. September Saturday, 3 and 4. September 3rd and 4th, I am going to be uh, in Fort Lauderdale and in Miami uh, with Mike Termont and with Martha Bueno. Uh, in and on the 5th County. with Martha, that's right. Yeah. And I, we encourage you to, uh, to reach out, come on out, uh, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, ask us your questions. Um, and, uh, and listen to, uh, what, what Mike has to say, like it, like it or don't like it. Mike has definitely a very uh, unique perspective on this and, uh, it's worth a listen and, and, and you get to, to tell him what you think, uh, uh, what, what you think about it, positive or negative, uh, uh, directly to him. So, um, so uh, where can people find out how to register for these events and, and to find out more about you as a candidate and everything else? 
Well, they can go to the, first of all, the easiest place is the website, right? MikeTremont2022.com. You got to spell it right. M-I-K-E-T-E-R-M-A-A-T, 2022.com. Uh, I'm going to put that can, in the notes. So Mike's website, go ahead. I'm just, I'm putting your site in so people. You can reach out to me directly. Uh, Mike at MikeTremont2022.com. Uh, you'll find my phone number on the website. That's my real phone number. Uh, the phone I carry with me in my pocket. Feel free to text me with any questions that uh, you have. Um, the events that we're going to have going on, I think, are going to be a lot of fun. Martha has a shooting event on the 5th. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, she's got something going on in the afternoon of the uh, 4th or the evening of the 4th, I get confused. And we have something going on in the afternoon of the 4th. We have a dinner on the 3rd. Uh, Spike is going to be at, at all of them. Yep. And uh, as as everybody knows, for, for those of you in the audience who have not dealt with Spike in person, I would suggest that you avail yourself of the opportunity because he's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, you... You, you find yourself agreeing and disagreeing, but there is one thing about Spike Cohen that should never be lost on anybody. And that is Spike is one of those guys who recognizes that politics and libertarianism has got to be about making people's lives better. You know, it's not just about, I hate this and I hate that. And I wish people would, would leave me alone. Uh, every conversation that uh, Spike Cohen ever has, you can tell it's leading in the direction of, you know, how do we make things better? And that's what all of our conversations uh, need to be about. So I encourage everyone to take the opportunity to meet uh, Spike. Well, thank you. That means a lot, Mike. And yeah, it, we believe what we believe because we recognize from a philosophical and moral standpoint that you shouldn't hurt people. You shouldn't take their things. You shouldn't subjugate them. You shouldn't order them around. For many people, before they can buy into that philosophy, in, in, a, in as an actual political sense and not just as an, the axiom that it is, we shouldn't hurt people or take their stuff. You have to show how it actually works because we've all, most of us, were, did not start as libertarians. Uh, neither I nor Mike started as libertarians. Most libertarians are not second generation or third generation libertarians. They became libertarians after having heard someone explain it well or after reading something or something happening in their life that changed their perspective, whatever it is. Up until then, if someone had told you these ideas, you might have said, yeah, that sounds great, but what about public safety? What about the roads? What about education? What about healthcare? What about housing? What about uh, national security? Whatever, whatever your things were. We need to show that libertarianism not only is the right way to do this, uh, it, libertarianism is not only the most moral way to do things, but it also makes the most sense. It also works the best. Uh, people working together voluntary, voluntarily as stakeholders in a given situation are always going to work better than a situation that is centrally planned and democratized out to a bunch of people who have no stake with coercion and threats and no accountability all the way around. Right. So um, so before I let you go, th again, thank you on. Uh, thank you again for coming on, Mike, and I, I appreciate your time. Uh, before I let you go, I do want to give you a chance to say anything else you want to say, anything you thought we didn't uh, touch on, uh, anything you want to plug. Uh, I want to give you that chance, however long you need. Mike Termott, the floor is yours. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I think we covered all of the uh, important ground. Uh, the reason that I got into this race in particular 
is because the issues that matter so much to the residents of District 20 are issues that have been important to me personally and professionally for a long, long time. Police reform and economic development, particularly in terms of uh, defeating poverty, ending the war on poverty and replacing it with common sense rules and legislation that lets people develop the economy the way it needs to be from the ground up instead of just throwing money at it. I had the opportunity to, to participate in a forum with the Democratic candidates a couple of nights ago. And I have to admit, notwithstanding having followed some of these people for years and having seen them in the news uh, and online, it is breathtaking to be in a forum with them in real time and hear them talk about the way out of poverty is to go find contracts, go find money, spend more resources on this and that. And these families will somehow magically be able to climb their way out of poverty. It does not work like that. If it would, we would have solved poverty literally 40 years ago. So we know with certainty it doesn't work. We just have to convince people to to take a fresh approach. And I believe that that's the same thing with uh, criminal justice reform. We put into place a crime bill 25 years. I can't believe it's been so long. Democrats and Republicans alike were buying into it. People were optimistic. It didn't work. It turns out that sending people to jail for stupid things for long, long, long periods of time is no way to fight crime. It's just a way to bust up communities. We have to take a fresh approach to so many of these things. And it's absolutely heartbreaking to see the Democratic Party doubling down on the idea of of the war on poverty, the same as it ever was, and claiming victimization of one group or another instead of helping people find ways to develop their own economies. And seeing the Republican Party just absolutely stand in the way of criminal justice reform, police reform in particular, and saying no just because they're not interested in the hard work of bringing police officers along as natural allies in the process, which we will be eventually. We just saw in the state of Washington legislation being moved without police officer involvement, and now everyone's all mad at each other because nobody understands what the other side really wants out of it. So politically uh, and in terms of communication, understanding what people need and understanding what voters are ready to hear, there is a tremendous amount of hard work ahead of us, and none of it is going to be solved with slogans like defund the police or you know, we're just not going to have reform at all. Uh, We are going to have reform. We're going to have the right kind. And it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of hard work. And we need to uh, buckle up and and get ready for it. So I appreciate, Spike, you giving uh, me the opportunity to talk about it and uh, all the other folks that you support in local races around the country as well. Well, thank you, Mike. And, uh, you know, Harry Brown said it best, gosh, 25, 30 years ago, government is good at doing one thing. It walks up to people, it breaks their legs, it takes their wallet, it uses some of the money to buy them some crutches, and it says if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have those crutches. The criminal justice system, the uh, regulatory capture, occupational licensing system, zoning system, all of that, and the enforcement mechanism behind it is the leg breaking and the wallet stealing. The war yep. on poverty is that using some of it to buy them crutches. And it doesn't That's exactly work. right. It, it, you know, the answer 
to the I wish it would, party. right? How simple no, would I've, the world be? If if the status quo fixed everything, we wouldn't even be here. It wouldn't be a problem. Um, but so, no, I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I, uh, I I look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. Uh, I, I look forward to talking with you more about the, It's a contentious subject when we talk about that 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 uh, divide between our principles and, and how to deal with it today. And I think it's an important conversation to have. And I, I look forward to continuing to have it with you, man. It is. Thank you. Thanks for uh, hearing it. Absolutely. Thank you. Stick around. I'm going to talk with you during the uh, outro. And uh, yeah, how are you just now seeing America's Jew, Josiah? It's been there literally the whole time. America's Jew. I'm America's Jew. I used to be a local Jew, but I was the nominee of the third largest political party for vice president, making me America's Jew. Um, So folks, thanks again for tuning into this episode uh, of My Fellow Americans. Uh, Join Matt Wright tomorrow on Thursday, and I'm speaking slowly so I can pull up who his guest is because I always do this and I forget. On Thursday on the Writer's Block, uh, his uh, his guest is Don Johnson. Uh, and is it that Don Johnson or is it a Don Johnson who's running for city council in Somerville, South Carolina? You're not going to believe who it is. Uh, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. on the Writer's Block. Uh, on Friday night, uh, we are not having an episode of uh, Cajun and Eskimo from Bio to Igloo. Uh, join them uh, next Friday. Uh, this Saturday, uh, or this this weekend, I'm free. I get to stay home. Uh, and then uh, on Monday, join us for uh, at 8 p.m. for an episode of Mr. America, The Bearded Truth. Jason Lyon will be delving into yet another major subject. Uh, and then uh, next Tuesday, join us for the next episode of The Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events like the sweet little, little monkeys that we are. And then join me right back here next Wednesday. Same spike place, same spike time. My guest will be rapper R.A. the Rugged Man. I am really excited about this. Um, and then again, join me uh, next weekend uh, in uh, Florida with Mike Termott and Martha Bueno. To find out more, go to MikeTermott2022.com. Uh, folks, thanks again for tuning into this episode of My Fellow Americans. It was special because you were here, and we love you. I'm Spike Cohen, and you are the power. God bless, guys. Find out.
know how, but you never know why. It ain't even make it to the news at nine. It ain't even make it to the news at nine. That's my sister, mother, father, brother, son. That's one of mine. All these tears, I close my eyes. Open up to only fine. I'm in line.